back to What the Frap with Jay Zilla. We're here with a very special guest, Mr. Michael Lee. How are you? How are you? What's going on? Same old. But before we started rolling, we were in a lot of sports talk. Um, let's, let's start with this. What do you do now? What did you do just before? And how did sports kind of mingle with all of that? Uh, right now, I'm a, uh, I've been a police officer for going on almost 10 years now. Um, before that, um, I was more in an office. I, uh, I have a finance background, so I was a finance manager, uh, um, basically running a rebate program, uh, uh, you know, running their finance department. Um, was in the military prior to that, uh, in the air force, I was an F 16 crew chief. Uh, basically I was a guy, um, uh, working on the jet. I was a guy launching it out with the, the two little orange sticks doing that. That was me. Um, so did that for almost 10 years. So yeah, that was, that's, that's been, been, uh, what I've been, what I've been doing. Man, that's nuts. Like, I can't put the fine, like, one of those things are not like the other, right? How did you get into <laughs> finance? Is that considered high finance? I don't know, high finance. I mean, I definitely wasn't wasn't making, you know, hedge fund money or anything. Um, I don't know. It was one of those things where yeah, I was, I'm, I'm good with numbers and, I, you know, they make sense to me, you know, on a, you know, just a natural level, you know, everybody kind of has some natural acumen and that's just one of those things that came naturally to me. I, I wasn't super excited about it, but I knew that, you know, there, there's opportunities for it in the job market. So yeah. you know, I had that initial mindset of, look, you know, I'm going to do a nine to five job. I need to find something that is marketable that I can, you know, make some money at and I'll, you know, I'll enjoy my life outside of work, work will be work. And then I'll go home and I'll enjoy that life afterwards. So I kind of realized, you know, partway through, partway through that job that um, I was like, man, this is, you know, you got to have some, some joy in what you do. And it was just like every day was spreadsheet meetings, spreadsheet meeting, meeting spreadsheets or spreadsheets and more meetings. It was just like, you know, it, every day was the same pretty much. It was just run the numbers, make a graph. You know, here's where our profits are. Here's losses. You know, what we're we doing here. And I just, you know, I was like, you know, I, you know, I may not be able to make as much money doing police work, but you know, I I know every day, you know, most days are boring, just like you know, just like the finance job. But every now and then, something happens, mm. and you don't know when it's going to happen. So, you know, every day you go in, it's you know. It could get crazy, and you know it keeps it keeps it interesting, keeps you awake, and you know it's one of those also one of those jobs where um, you know you know that you I know I've made a difference in someone's life, whether they know it or not. You know, if I stopped a drunk driver, you know, who I just know is severely intoxicated, or someone driving the wrong way down the interstate, you know, I know over time with my ten years that somebody somewhere is probably walking around uninjured or alive because of something I've done. And that's just something you're not going to get in finance. Um, so there's a, there's a job satisfaction there that, yes, I'm not going to make the big dollars that I probably could have made 
know, becoming vice president of some finance department somewhere. But uh, there, there's that little bit of job satisfaction that you know gets you through the day, and um, I say you gotta have some of that. You know, it doesn't have to be. I mean, I, I still still work. I still rather be home with the kids, but um, it, the, having that little bit of something that brings you back to work every day uh, it helps. As if you can read my mind, you know, guy with the orange cones, you know, waving people in and launching the jets. Yeah, yeah, that is awesome. Well, I mean, that, that's part of it. I mean, the, the nice thing about being a crew chief is that actually you're, I mean, you're the, you're the chief of the aircraft, so you actually get assigned, depending on, you're, you're actually assigned an aircraft. Like, your name mm -hmm. as a crew chief is on the side of the plane with the pilot. Oh. Um, so it's, it's your aircraft, so you're responsible for it. Um, you, you are the, the person who signs off on all the paperwork that says this plane is ready to fly. Mm -hmm. And so if that plane falls out of the sky, God forbid, you're the first person that they call in saying, you signed off this aircraft that was flyable, and it didn't fly. And I've, I've been in that. Um, we had an aircraft that went down in Iraq. Um, it's pilot error. He, uh, he got confused. It was a sandstorm. He split the plane over and crashed. Um, but, I mean, that second, they brought everybody who touched that plane in the last two months. They go over all your tools. Did you forget something? Did you leave something in the plane? You know, you signed off here, here, and here. So it's nerve wracking because you got to, uh, you know, you got to go over all that stuff, and you're like, man, did I forget? Did I, did I leave a screwdriver in the uh, thing? And it, it, it's, it's, it's something. So, um, so yeah, there's a lot more to it than that. That's just part of this part. People recognize they know that guy with sticks. So I usually <laughs> say that part. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we are responsible for all the maintenance of the aircraft and making sure it's flyable. Um, and then I also did. I did that part, and then I also did what we call phase, um, which every so many so many thousand flight hours, the plane has to be basically torn down and built back up. It's a major inspection, and so it's a separate department where we would have all the planes come in, and we would take them apart, put them back together, um, stuff like that. So, so define for me, or okay, break it down for me. Top Gun, yes or no? Uh, Top Gun's good. I mean, I have you know in my head, I have categories of movies. Mm. Um, there are some movies that I just I like to have them on the background. If I'm doing stuff around the house or something like that, I'll you know I like to have like a Top Gun's perfect for that kind of thing. One I've seen it a thousand times. Plot's not complicated, okay. you know, uh, so it's not like I have to sit there and be like, oh, I, I just missed what happened. It's like it's just you know it's kind of like a Michael Bay movie. Yeah. It's like you put on, put on Transformers. You don't need to look at the plot. You're, you're just watching explosions. Things are happening, and so that's a that's the kind of that category of movie where I can watch it in the background and still enjoy it. I can come in and, you know, miss half of it, still enjoy the, the last half. Um, and so like that, there are, there are moments for those movies and that Top Gun's in that, you know, there are the ones like Shawshank or something like that, where you really gotta, if you miss the first 15 minutes, you, you've missed, you, you're going to have to stop and watch the whole thing over again. Yeah. And so those are movies I have in a different category. Like when I have an hour and a half, which is very rarely anymore, um, uh, you know, those movies, I, I, I enjoy them in a different way, but something like Top Gun, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, that's all, it's all good. That's, you know, good 90s flying. I know when it comes on TV, it's one of those you, you sit and watch, even though it's like, you know, you get, you've seen it a thousand times, like, oh, yeah. you know, come on, man, Iceman and Goose and, yeah, man. can't beat that. So it's like, for me, like, I guess a Christmas story, 
Anytime that song, I'm just kind of yeah. like, why do I still watch this? I don't know what it is about it, man. Nostalgia is a powerful joke. <laughs> well, that was a that's a family tradition. My on my dad's side, we we used to do Christmas Eve on my dad's side, and the Christmas Vacation and Christmas Story. Like every year, we'd watch both of those. Like they, we had like they were on. Like that was the that was just the tradition mm-hmm. uh, to have those on. Um, I'm definitely more of a Christmas vacation than a Christmas story, but those are still, I mean, they're, you know, they're, again, you, you have, you don't know why you do, like you've seen, seen them a thousand times, but I can recite them in your head, but like we you know, still sit and watch last half hour for some, some ridiculous reason. Yeah, man. Do you, uh, so did that survive when you had, you know, start your own family? Um, that tradition, I mean, not, I mean, I, I, we watch. I mean, I'll watch them because again, they have Christmas Story on. Um, you know, it's they one wall to wall, pretty much like last week or last week Christmas. Yeah. Um, Christmas Vacation, obviously, my kids being little, they don't one, they don't get it. Two, <laughs> a little bit old for them. Just a bit. <laughs> um, yeah, so you know, those, those traditions from that side probably aren't aren't continue to go. But you know, as the kids get older and. I mean, obviously, I think their their comedy will probably match mine, or you know, in some form or fashion. I'm sure that'll they'll come around. Yeah, man. So, I've, what we call around here, I have this thing around here that we call dad vision. You know, so it's that moment where I watched this when I was around your age, and here's how I react to it, and I just picture them reacting the same way and loving it just as much as I do. And then, especially with the girls, I get this. Okay, I don't get it. You know that sort of stuff, man. That, that really hurts deep down inside. But um, Ash is helping me cope. You know, it's like, you know, we, it's fine. We just we have to make our own traditions, you know. But um, you ever get yeah, to those sure. moments where it's like dad vision wants to take over, and like you sit here, you watch, you laugh here, you react this way, you know, or is it just me? Well, I work nights, so like right now, like I'm off, so. I try to stay up all night, so I kind of reserve the time when the kids are asleep to watch the stuff that, like, the, like the dad vision, I guess, what you would call, um, because you know, they, 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 the oldest being eleven, he doesn't, he doesn't get it. You know, they they'll, they'll laugh sometimes when I'm laughing, but they don't know what they're laughing at. They're just laughing because they think it's time <laughs> to laugh. Um, but you know, <laughs> Chris, Crystal doesn't. Crystal and I don't. We have, we have certain things that we enjoy, you know, they're um, like comedically we get, but there's definitely some parts that we diverge. Like she doesn't like, I love watching like stand up comedy and she's definitely not into that at all. Oh, um, I mean, I, I can't, I haven't found, I haven't found one that she, she'll watch a couple. Uh-huh. Like, but I haven't, she's not like one like, oh, I gotta watch this. Yeah. Like this person's like the best. She is, she is so. I mean, occasionally I'll put somebody on and she'll like she'll laugh at a couple of them. But I mean, like I'll be like in tears for certain people. Yeah. Like I'll watch a Bill Burr, something like that. And dude, I mean, I'll be like in just tears laughing. And she's like, <laughs> I used to make fun of her. She's like, like she she just she hates laughter sometimes. She's like, what are you laughing so much for? Like, oh, why does no. it matter? Like, should I be happy that I'm happy? Like, I'm she's laughing. It's a good time. Like, stop. Just gets annoyed. Yeah. So. It's like when I'm sleeping. It's like she because sometimes she has a hard time sleeping. Seeing me sleep, I think irritates her because I am sleeping. So 
and she can't, so it irritates her a little bit. I am on the record. Um, I, I'm, I'm, we have the same dynamics going on. I love stand-up. I can sleep easily. I, there was a time where I guess I had fallen asleep while I was eating. And then I know it's kind of gross, so bear with me. And so I kind of, whenever they woke me up, I just kind of woke up and started back chewing. And I've been asleep for a while, so it was just kind of like, oh, how? How are you this good of a sleeper? But yeah. I feel it sometimes yeah. in the morning when I'm all chipper and energetic and like, hey, how'd you sleep? And it's just this glare, like, ooh, okay, another one of those nights, leave her, you know, steer clear. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's just women in general. I think they don't, uh, the sight of a man sleeping, <laughs> something in their brain irritates them. Yeah. They got should be they should be do cleaning something or doing something. Right, he could do so much right now. <laughs> what is he doing? What is he doing? What's the... Okay, what's the yeah, flip should, side? Like, what's the the I guess lady version of that? Something we just watch them and just kind of like not a real reason, a real good reason to be upset at it, but just really gets you. Well, let me let me caveat the fact that this is going on the the internet forever. I'm just joking about women in general. Don't oh, joke about it. I mean, it's specific, specifically with with Crystal. I mean, I don't. I, the 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 flip side of that um, is, you know, when I when I'm watching her do something like, she listens to books a lot, so she she will put her headphones in and she'll listen like all day, and that drives me nuts just in general. Like again, she's had she works two hour shifts, yeah. so she works yeah. you know all day. So she kind of wants to zone out. But the thing is, when she puts her headphones in, it's like then I got to scream at her, and she's like, "What?" You know, like like, it, like I like I'm I'm the jerk <laughs> for yelling at her. But it's like I'm right. I've been ta- you know I've been talking to you for five minutes. And I didn't even know you had your headphones in. Yeah. So uh, now I got to scream at you to get your attention. It's like uh, yeah, but I'm the, you know so it's like when I see her those on. It's like it, it, it's one of those like innate things, but you know when I sit when I step back and think about it, I'm like, all right, she's just she just needs to zone out. She doesn't she's not watching TV or show, but this her her version is listening to a book on tape. So. That's great, man. For us, it's laundry. Like I'm very so when I live by myself, I didn't even have a dirty clothes hamper. I just come home, strip down, put my dirty clothes in the washer, and whenever it filled up, I just did a load, you know. Uh, so now it's a little different with a wife and four children. I love them dearly. I'll preface it with that. <laughs> it's like, hey, how about we just do this, you know, do it this way? And they're all like, uh, I kind of want a laundry bin or dirty clothes hamper or whatever. So we get them, but they're never in the hamper. Mike, they are never in the hamper and i'm constantly just picking up right picking up okay here we go so that's 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 our thing i man i look at that i just don't know how how we walk past this thing it's right there how is this happening you know oh yeah yeah i mean mason has his clothes he'll have he'll have clothes around the hamper like there's like all (laughs) i mean around it i'm like buddy yeah it's literally just two inches just yeah in the hamper oh, and just put it, exactly. you can't do it. You know, I'll every day I got them in there, clean your room. And then not five minutes later, it's just like, it looks like he literally went in there and just like, just took everything and threw it mm-hmm. on purpose. I'm like, I mean, it's like, how, how to get this messy in an hour? What have you been doing in here? Right. Not cleaning. 
for one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably trying to make it a game and trying to shoot some hoops and you know got to work on that follow through. I guess. Well, yeah. So, yeah, well, yeah my, my my family are definitely not basketball players. I wrestled, so I don't don't have the height over skills. Like, what did you not do? I think that's a shorter list, man. You wrestled up until when? Yeah, I mean, I, I again, it was one of those things where I was just kind of, I was, um, I did um, martial arts for a long time, and then um, I don't know why I got into wrestling. I mean, wrestling was just one of those things where it was like, you know, I, I credit my parents, and we went to, we had a Y, a YMCA membership, mm. and they kind of just put me into everything, which was nice. Yeah. I, I, I try to get my kids the same thing. It's like, try different things. My guys always tell them, like, well, if you don't like it, just tell them. And we'll, you know, try something else. But I was like, try something. <laughs> you know, go in and do something. You know, I did I did gymnastics one time. I remember I took me to gymna- a gymnastics thing. I did, I did indoor soccer, you know, when I was, you know, when I was younger. And then I kind of, so I gravitated to what I liked. And I did wrestling once. And I was like, I was pretty good mm-hmm. um, for my age. And so I just kind of kept doing it over and over again. And just kind of, again, I just kind of naturally came into what I liked to do. Um, so, you know, in that respect, I mean, I, to credit to my parents for, you know, and the YMCA for having, like, again, you got an organization that had right. a lot of different programs that you could just you know, throw your kid into and be like, all right, try this, try me. I did swimming classes there. I did gymnastics, indoor soccer. Uh, I did a wrestling program. They had a karate program there. I did karate there for a while, and I went to an actual karate school after that because I got interested and wanted to follow through with it, so... Um, yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's super important. I don't, I know I've never, I don't want to, you know, like Xavier, you know, my oldest, he's into football mm-hmm. and you know, I think a lot of because I enjoy it, but I never wanted to force him. I don't want to be like, you're going to play, I play football, so you should play right. football, you know, and that Mason, not, I don't think he really is into football. So, you know, that's fine. I think it's, I just want him to be into something. I want him to be active in something. Mm-hmm. So I think the most important part in general, is just being involved, whether it's chess club or anything, or anything. Because right. I mean, that's in high in high school. That's where you're gonna make your friends. You don't make your you don't have time to make friends necessarily in class. You're supposed to be doing work. Maybe you can a couple of people here and there. But we're really gonna make good friends in your sports, your activities, whatever you're doing. Um, that's where you're gonna make your core friends, and then kind of that's the fun part. To me. That's it, man. I know when I when I went to high school, it was sports. I mean, I, we come up in a day where what season in it? Okay, go. Get outside. Go do something. You know, football, basketball, baseball, track, just whatever. Um, if I could go back, I'd probably do more clubs. I didn't even – it didn't even really register with me, you know, all those different clubs uh, because I, most of my time, you know, as soon as that bell hit, it was football or basketball or, you know, one of the sports there. But, you know, you bring up the YMCA – can you imagine that there are some neighborhoods out there that have no programs like that? Oh yeah, that that's again. I know I know they they do like you know they do try to like you know boys clubs the, the boys girls clubs and stuff. But I mean, you're right. I, I they you know I I know governments are always trying these the these low income areas. They're they're always trying to figure out what to do and how to do these things. But it's like. It, that those alone, because I, I can tell you, I mean, there there were you know there were kids in my class um, and stuff that that came from rough families, mm-hmm. and those are escapes. I mean, you can talk to a bunch of these NFL players, right. um, 
when they when you talk to them when they, when they tell when they tell them their stories, most of the time they when they have these terrible childhoods, they say, "Well, my refuge was football field. My refuge was you know even basketball, AAU basketball, or whatever." Because one, they well, one they excelled at it, so that was a place where they could succeed. Right. But I mean, it was also kind of a, a team. They had a, you know uh, uh, maybe something that they were lacking at home was some kind of parent figure, which was a coach. Mm-hmm. So you know, obviously, it's not going to help everybody. I mean, there are sometimes there's just there's things going on that you know it, it trumps all that. But I mean, if you want to affect the most kids in the best way. Um, having those programs, having good programs, not, you know, underfunded, just, you know, throwing them into a overgrown field, throwing a flat soccer ball at them and saying, okay, we're happy we have a soccer program, mm. you know, uh, have, you know, cause you need good coaches. You need people who are involved. You got to have teams to play. So it, it's, it's not, you know, I'm not saying it's, you know, it's, it's the easiest, it's the, uh, the panacea, but I think that is the single most effective thing to do for kids. Um, in general, for uh, for anybody, mm-hmm. you know, I you talk uh, about that. Um, have you heard Hakeem Talib story? No, I can't remember. He's got some crazy stories. You know, his grandmother shooting his, I think his father or his uncle. You know, just hit him in the leg. Oh, say something like, you know, you better not touch that doorknob. You know, there was some sort of argument or whatever. And she shot through the door and, and hit him in the leg. And then, um, or maybe this was uh, his mom. And so they called their grandmother, which is his big mama, over to the house. And she's like, you better not say nothing. Right? Like, what? And so the police got there and he's like, look, man, look. All I know is that somebody shot me through the door and hit me in the leg. <laughs> you know? Like, that's a wild story. And he just talks about it like, yeah, man. You know, like, like we may talk about, you know, Thanksgiving dinner. But they come from yeah. wild backgrounds, and I'm very interested to know like what okay. would happen if those sort of programs, you know, existed. What would happen if? Because um, I'm I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm gonna sound really silly right now, but uh, you know, taking classes and just reading articles, I'm trying to get better at reading. But um, one of the things that I found is that just how remarkable the human brain is, how it can take a. a an environment and just make it like okay this is normal this is just how life is and then you just have to figure out a way to navigate it but those programs could do so much for so many you know as far as um giving them structure and discipline and not trying to shield them away from or steer them around trouble but teach them how to navigate it you know how to navigate it what to do with myself when i feel anxious or afraid or or maybe i feel you know, frustrated and angry. You know, how do, how am I supposed to behave in a world that's going to be fruitful for myself and the people around me, all the parties involved? Yeah, that's a, that's a yeah and the thing, the, the thing too, it's like it, it takes the program, but it also takes the coaches. So, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I've coached a little bit, and I can tell you, I mean, you know, even in well-funded programs, there's some coaches who, like, you know, coaching like first and second grade football mm. like tackle and they're losing their ever loving minds and you know screaming at these kids i'm like dude it's first and second grade football like they're just basically running into each other that's it right like the, let's calm oh, down man. like they're if they're if they're all running right the same direction it's a victory like right, right. <laughs> so right. you know 
you know, or they're, you know, they're doing things like I say when when I was helping coaching, there was uh, it was fifth and sixth grade I was coaching, and some of these teams, like the the way it was supposed to be structured was that there was supposed to be kind of like a, a division one, like you, the the best kids out of your program would have one team, and then it was going to be like a developmental team, you know, every other team was going to be like developmental. And so there's going to be two different kind of tracks. So you had your D1 team mm. playing D1 for the other leagues. Wow. Well, some teams decided not to do that. They would like intermix their best players. So we would go, uh, We were. I was coaching a developmental team, and we would play these teams. And they're like, are you kidding me? Like, we're, we're getting just completely demolished by these teams, like 58 to nothing. I'm just like, what, what are you getting out of this, man? It's like, obviously... And we we looked at our teams like obviously you took play you, you didn't make a D one team you just made two good teams but you're playing in the developmental team and so you have like when you're playing fifth and sixth grade if you have two or three ridiculous players that's all you need yeah. and you're gonna destroy everybody <laughs> you know their you know for example their the one team you played their quarterback was five was five ten and had to be like two twenty five their quarterback at fifth and sixth grade wow. and so he he would just. He would look for someone to throw the ball to. If he didn't, if the guy wasn't open, he was running. And he was bigger than all the all of our defensive linemen. <laughs> so he would just carry the entire team oh, to the end zone. No, like, is oh. this is this teaching? Like, it's like, is this teaching these kids anything? Is this is this what? So win at all costs? Is that the thing you're going to teach them? Yeah. Like, this, you know. So you, you need, you know, it might again. My point will be the long way to get to that point. Is just that, yeah, you, you need. You need this. You obviously need to have the, the programs that have to exist, and then you also need the adults mm-hmm. with the right mindset to, mm-hmm. to make those programs and to know that you know the sport is just the vessel to teach them something. You know, to teach them about right and wrong and how to how to do things. It's not about, especially at the younger age, it's not about winning. I mean, yes, winning is fun, and you should try to win. Right. But ultimately, right. you're trying to. You know, you're trying to teach some life lessons like, hey, adversity and getting better. You know, you're not good now. Work on it. You know, hard work, you know, those those kind of things, um, you know, and not, you know, not coddling the guy who's got natural talent. They'll be like, well, he gets to do what he wants. Mm-hmm. Everybody else has to run laps when they take back, you know, and that's a thing I see a lot, too, nowadays. It's just this, well, this guy's going to make us win, so we can't, we don't want to say anything to this kid. Settle, like, Dude, you know, that's that. Yeah, and then that's that's what happens when you get these these guys when they go when they go pro or into college they lose their minds because they've been called their entire life told they're awesome, and then uh, you know it's uh, you know they, they they become they lose their minds when they get they have adversity or someone challenges them because they've never been challenged before mm-hmm. they've, been, they've been like go their entire lives I don't know if you ever there's a YouTube guy who's pretty popular called Flemlo Raps and he goes over uh, what was the name just NFL. Flemlo, I think it's a Flemlo raps. He does. He, he's really. He's really. He does like basically does like deep dives into NFL players. Oh, uh, okay. And he did his latest one with Ryan Leaf, and uh, so. But I mean, it was that same kind of story. He's like he was a guy from a quarterback from Montana, never had any good players come out of there, and you know, he Ryan Leaf said himself, like, dude, no, I did, I did whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, because they knew, I don't know, I was the natural quarterback. I was going to be, you know. Division one, and, and it's so he like every no, no matter what he did, people just let him skate all day long, and I mean it cost him. It cost him in the end when he just crashed and burned. 
And it's like, it's a waste that someone just at younger ages just kind of guided him and said, look, I don't care how good you are. You know, you talk back to a coach, we'll touch the fence like everybody else. You know what? And I don't care, you know, and I don't, you know, if I have to sit you and we got to lose, it's not my fault that we lost. You caused us to lose. You made me sit you for your bad behavior. We lost because of your behavior, you know, and that, that's the thing I think um, is it, it, I've, I see, unfortunately, I see a lot in coaches now. It's like they, the, the want to win trumps the life teaching lessons. Yeah. Um, and that's, I can't, I, I would lose every game. Let some kid talk back to a coach. And that's how I tell him, I look, it's, you know, the rules we let you lay them out. This is how it is. You talk back to me. And we lose because you're our best player. That's you made us lose. You did that. That's right. By your behavior. I think people are are starting to pay more attention to the fact that um, how important expectations and discipline, you know, how important those things really are. Because we see a lot of different examples of someone, just like you explained or described there, is that, uh, you know, you're coddled your whole life. And it really does cause you to have your worldview skewed. And this transcends sports. It's not just sports. It's in everything. You know, um, my, one of my daughter's uh, school, they had this this idea, which I thought was a brilliant idea um, in, in theory, right? In actuality, it's a little bit harder, as usual, to, uh, to actually, um, you know, um, losing my true thought here. To actually um, get it done, you know. So in actuality, it's a lot harder to accomplish. But the theory is, you know, there exists this triangle, right? And the three points of the triangle are student, parent, teacher. And the parent and teacher are supposed to be the bottom part of that triangle, propping up the student. But if one of those points do not do what they're supposed to do, you know, the structure, it breaks. It, it fails. And we really have to do a better job of not trying to coddle anybody. Like I said, transcend sports to make sure that you know I have to get, I have to prepare you to be a viable, fruitful citizen of the world. You know, and, and sometimes it's gonna suck. Sometimes it's, you're gonna do things, have to do things that you don't want to, but it's important. You know, and you gotta like us parents and teachers and coaches, like we all have to have this idea. We have we have to come together and understand that it's okay. If the kid doesn't like us for a time, you know, or upset with us, you know, that's fine. They'll learn. You gotta, we have to teach this next generation that wins and losses, fine, I get it. You always put your best foot forward and try to be successful. But it's probably more important how you play the game, how you work, what's your work ethic. You know, and I'm sure that's something that was echoed in the military and, you know, coaching and as an officer now. Well, I think a lot of times now it's actually even the parents. I think people are afraid. Um, you know, I, I, I noticed this. I mean, luckily I was just a thing, an assistant coach. I wasn't the head coach. They weren't calling me, but, you know, their kid wasn't playing. It was a long email about how, you know, their kid's the best. And he, last year he played every game and he, you know, got 20 sacks. And I'm like, you know, you know, I, I just give a quick example. I mean, it was a kid we had. Who he saw he had some talent, but he 
you know, I guess he played defensive end the year before and was successful. But again, because the grades, I think it was goes three, four, uh, third, third and fourth grade, and fifth and sixth grade. So he had just gotten into fifth grade. So now he's kind of the bottom younger end of the of the team. So generally, when you're in fifth, when you're in the younger end, you're not playing as much because the sixth graders are playing, right? The older kids generally are playing. So he, you know, he was starter last year, played and he was really good, and now he's kind of not as much, but he's he's still in there. Um, and I was coaching linebackers, and I was like, look, I need a linebacker. We were having some struggles there, and I was like, I could see you playing linebacker. He's like, I don't play linebacker. I play defensive end. I do this. Right. I'm like, okay, well, they're they've got like three, you know, the depth charts like three people. So you're not going to get in at defensive end. And, you know, he, you know, he, when he doesn't want to play, he just, he just walks and stuff. And I would tell him like, look, man, you know, we, you know, we're not a great team right now. So, I mean, if you go out there and show off and just, you know, go out there and kill it every practice, I guarantee you're going to play somewhere. But I'm like, right now I have, I have a needed linebacker and I think you could do it. You know, the way we play outside linebackers, kind of like a defensive end anyways, you have a couple of like coverage responsibilities, but it's like you're already rushing 80% of the time anyway. So it's like you, you're kind of playing defensive end. So it's like, you know, you kind of get the best of both worlds. Like, I don't play linebacker. I play defensive end. I'm like, all right, goodbye. Jeez. I don't need you. Well, then his dad his dad texted the head coach and like, hey, he needs to play more. He did da da And I'm just like, you know, you know he's, and he even said, he's like, he's out there selling out practice every day. I mean, why isn't he playing? It's like, I don't know who you're watching because – that that is the only reason he's not playing. He has the talent. He's got the size. He's got even got the speed. But it's like it's it's even worse because I can see he's got talent. He has abilities that other kids don't have, and he's choosing not to use them in practice to like hold out to play the position he wants to play versus playing the position that we need him to play. Right. And I mean that's I think I mean I I, I think it shows that sometimes these coaches just don't want to deal with parents or they're afraid of the parents. I mean I even see that talking to my kids teachers at school i mean you know xavier's doing really well in school and i'm, I'm proud of him for that but it's like you know i, I want to say hey what what do you need to work on you know what what are, what are his weakest subjects you know even if he's doing you know doing a plus work you know is it is one of his things a minus let's bring him up to a plus what what is it like no he's doing great everything's great I'm like okay I, thank you i appreciate that it's like what what, where where can we focus our attention? Mm-hmm. You know, I only have so many hours of the day. I can't do all of them. So what is it? And it's like you have to pull teeth. It's like, well, just, just, I'm, I'm not going to yell at you. Right. And I'm not going to yell at you. I I love my kid. You know, but I, I'm sure. I you know. And I'm sure the parents, I'm sure when they, they the reason they do that, they don't like that is because they probably said something to a parent like, look, you know, little Johnny's not reading well. You no, know, he, he should be, you know, here, he's not there. And they're like, how dare you? You know, he can't, you know, it's your fault. He can't do this. You know, you need to teach better. And it's like, they, it's like, you know, what, do you, you want to be a teacher or not? You got to tell, you got to tell parents because, you know, again, another example with my, with, with the young, our youngest, Annika, you know, with this whole COVID situation, she hit COVID in, in kindergarten when she's trying to learn how to read. Well, now she's kind of behind because she lost like three months of school to COVID and then she rolled right into COVID for the first grade. So she was kind of behind reading. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't, we, you know, we've been reading with her. We didn't really notice it necessarily. We don't know what grade level is. You know, she's reading and we're like, okay, that's fine. Well, then come to find out then like one day they put her in like a reading intervention class. And we're like, well, 
why didn't you say anything? Like, yeah, like why? Why? She, she now she she's not at grade level, and she got to be in an intervention class. It's like we could have been addressing this at the beginning of the year. Now she's you know you, you've lost two three months of time, but because because you didn't feel like telling us this stuff, now we're now we're scrambling. Now we're having to do all this stuff and trying to hit it hard, and we don't know you know what you know. She's first grade, like obviously she's not reading you know Mozart or she's not reading Shakespeare, but. I mean, so what? Where? You know, where should she be? Give me know, some scale. Where should she right. be? Yeah, you know, give give me give me where she should be and give me where she is, and we'll try to make the difference up. But you know, there's just like, well, I'll we'll just put her reading intervention. We'll figure it out. Like, well, fifteen minutes, you know, once a week is not going to catch her up if she's that far behind. So you know, I think it's I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I, people say it's always like a millennial thing. It's like the helicopter parents and mm. you know their parents, their kids are special and nobody wants to say anything. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't know if I, I believe in that necessarily. I just, I just think at some point there was a time back in my parents' days where it was the adults versus the kids. Yes. You know, you, you, you know, you whoop your kid, you know, if the neighbor had to whoop, had to whoop you, right. that was fine. You know, obviously right. the kid did something wrong if you're, if you're whooping my kid, you know, now I think a lot of times, I think rightly so, I'm sure a lot, a lot of times in those times, the kids were telling the truth, like, Hey, you know, especially with like the Catholic Church and stuff. Like, yeah. hey, the priest is doing some stuff. You know, it's like, right. hey, no, he's the priest. Or right. stupid kid. You know, and I think, you know, like a lot of things, we kind of we kind of really overcorrected a little bit and said, you know, yes, sometimes kids tell the truth. You know, but right. they're still kids. Right. So, you know, we should still defer to the professionals, the teachers. You know, if the teachers, it's there's they're professionals. Right. So. We should trust them to say, Johnny can't read. This this is what the situation is. You can deal with the information how you wish. But, you know, if you want to take Johnny out of school because you think I'm a bad teacher or whatever, that's that's fine. But this is the situation. You know, give me the information and I'll I'll deal with the information how I think it should be dealt with. I really think it's the overcorrection that we overlook a lot. You know, we have one situation and like you talked about uh, Joe Mullaney, I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, but he's got a great bit about that, man. I can send you a link or something, but kind of like how it was adults versus kids, and like, you know, that's just how it was. And um, I don't know, man, we, we, we went through the same thing. It's kind of this community aspect of raising a community of kids, right? It wasn't, hey, don't correct my kid, you know, but now they have to be so hypersensitive to it that you have to be very careful at um, how you talk to kids, which is frustrating for parents like yourself and me, you know, because I'm just like, just let me, like you said, let me know where she should be, where she's at, and then we'll figure out something together. But I don't want to have to like fish through emails and homework and just try to like track things down because I've gotten a progress report weeks after the initial problem. You know, we really have lost that because it seems like they're afraid of confrontation. You know, but yeah, and I mean, I get it. Nobody, nobody likes to have you know an angry customer or an angry parent come at mm -hmm. them. Um, but again, it, 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 I, I mean, it takes it takes a whole organization. Again, it takes your principal to back you and your organization mm -hmm. to, to say these things. Like, then tell parents, like, look, you know. What my teacher said, you know, you can complain to me and say, well, this, 
teacher, Mrs. Smith, you know, is, is saying that my that Johnny can't read and it's her fault that he can't read. Like, and the parents say, look, look, man, you know, I'm sorry, but here's the test scores. He's not where he needs to be. Mm. Now, I you know, and Mrs. Smith has a track record of doing just fine, you know, as a teacher. So I'm going to defer to her on this one and you, someone to back you up. But I think sometimes, especially, you know, and I, I obviously I see this in the policing as well, a lot of times it's easier to kind of push that teacher, push that police officer on the bus and before the organization, say the organization and say, well, hey, you know, that's a bad teacher, bad police officer, because then you save the organization. So it takes a whole organization to, to say, look, this is how we do things. We're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to give deference to the teachers. Now, does that mean you just let teachers do whatever they want right. and, you know, don't, don't supervise them? No. But I mean, people make it sound like it's, it's hard to tell if you got a bad teacher or not. You went to school, you knew who the bad teachers were. The other teachers knew who the bad teachers were. You know, it, these aren't mysteries. You don't need to do a math equation to figure it out. Everybody knows. Like, you know, Mrs. Smith is terrible. She's lazy. Don't do anything. You know, so, you know, the, the, the principals know everybody else. So if you're a relatively good teacher, they, they should give deference and, and say, look, the parents that are, are just over the top, like, I'm sorry. Like, this is how it is. Isn't it? You know, if you want to take a kid private, go ahead. Right. Isn't that the world we live in now? You know, I talked on a, on a previous show about how Twitter is, uh, what, a couple of billion people? Or not even billion. Like, what did we say? How many was it? Give me a shout-out. A very small amount of the world's population is on Twitter. But because they're the ones making most of the noise and it's a large sample size, which I understand that from an advertising standpoint, but when this stuff starts to leak in and, and you know, change policies, that's when it can get a little tricky. But that's what it takes, top to bottom, everybody working for, towards the same goal without looking at the outliers or the very small group of people who are just being those helicopter parents, who are being unreasonable, you know. But that's tough to do in any, in any job, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, just, again, it takes true leadership. I think that's that's the hardest thing. When you have people in leadership positions, they need to be leaders. And part, part of being a leader is stepping in front of the bullets. In, in a military kind of analogy, you know, there's, I, I've, I've seen, I don't know if you've ever seen, that there's, a, there's like a meme, a picture, they, they show the company, like an Egyptian hieroglyph that says one, top one says boss, top, I mean, the other bottom one says leader, and the boss one has bunch of people pulling a gigantic rock with a person on sitting on a chair on top of the rock pointing and saying that's the boss the other one is with leader has the guy in front pulling with everybody behind him pulling the rock and says leader that's that's a that's you know a great a great visualization of what i think leader is like look you're in front you're the first one you're the first one taking the bullets so when the parents are screaming you know you call you call in. It's like you know, and when a teacher is like, look, Mrs. Mrs. Johnson is, is screaming because Johnny can't read. Mm. Like the principal says, I'll take care of it. She won't call you anymore. I'm on it. You know, and if she got a problem, she can call me. You know, and, and when you have that in an organization, I don't care if you're a police officer, or teacher, whatever your job is, you mm. know your boss has your back as long as you're doing what you're supposed to do. You know. But is going to you know give the benefit of the doubt to you, even right. if it's like 50-50, like eh, it's right. kind of gray. It's like that 
gives you the confidence to, to talk to these people and say, you know, tell the truth. But if you think, if you step out of line, if you, if, you know, if the parent thinks you're rude and one misstep and one complaint to your principal, and they're going to be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to give you a bad report. You know, this teacher said you're just, parent was complaining about you so i'm gonna you know put this check mark and you had a complaint it's like well then what, what's the point i'll just tell him johnny's great we'll pass him on and then i'll keep my job and not my my reports will be better right so you know it it, it, um, it i think we have a, a a lack of leadership on, on a lot of levels and that 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 starts the, the ball rolling for these kind of bad situations if you could make if you had, well, I don't want to say absolute power, but if you could wave a magic wand, what's something that you can see uh, that would help turn this ideology around? Uh, well, again, I think it's just, it takes, I mean, it, it starts with kids. I mean, it starts with examples of the leaders. And again, we've talked about youth sports. I mean, if you start young, it's, it's so hard. Once they become teenagers and adults, I mean, the bad habits start young, you know. So, you know, when when if you're if you're a high school football coach or a high school teacher, and you know, I keep using the word Johnny, but Johnny comes in, he's already got a bad attitude about you know about uh, um, the supervision, about authority, and you know, to try to flip that around all of a sudden, it can be done. It's just really hard, and as it as it gets as you go on. You know, it gets harder and harder and harder, and um, so. And then the con- problem is, as they get older, the consequences get worse, right? You know, if you you mess up, and you know, when you're like under eighteen, you go, you know, have a juvie record, it goes away. For the most part, even some really serious things go away. And so you can kind of recover from those bad decisions, you know. But if you get, you know, if you get coddled and and, and, and all these things happen, and by the time you're an adult and you make a mistake. Now you got, you know, you got an OBI. Now you can't get certain jobs. Or maybe you even got a felony. Right. Now you're locked out of a whole slew of jobs, and it, you know it's almost unrecoverable. And so your whole life is now completely upended. And it's really because you haven't, you weren't given, unfortunately, the beginnings. You weren't given at the beginning the right and wrongs, how to be a leader, how to be a follower. Um, you know, which are like equally important, you know, you got to start knowing how to follow before you can lead and having examples of what leaders are, you know, because again, I think when you're seeing coaches, you know, coddle the good players and, and, and punish the bad ones, mm-hmm. and it's like, that that's your example, right? How, okay, well, winning is more important, right? Winning is more important than, than uh, you know, teaching life lessons, all that, you know, doing the right thing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's great, but winning number one, obviously, because, you know, you know, this, this, this guy, you know, Terrell Pryor, I'll use for an example, you know, this guy's the best. He's our, he's our, he's our meal ticket. So, well, he can do whatever he wants. And that, and that people pick up on these things. I mean, you know, from having kids, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that you do every day. You're like, you know, and then your kids start doing it. Mm. You didn't teach them that you didn't mm. tell them to do it, but they just start doing it. And you're like, that's weird. Like I didn't tell, but they, they've been watching you all day long and they do it now. And so the, you know, people, again, people think that kids are dumb. They, they don't pick up on this thing. They pick up on every, on every cue. That's what, you know, they, all they do, all I do is look at, they look at the adults around them and they say, 
what, you know, this is what an adult needs to be. Here, here's an example of the most successful person around. The most successful person around me. Um, sorry. Well, the most successful person around me. Okay. That's my, uh, you, 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 you <laughs> can name that uh, theme song. Say again. If you name that theme song, um, it's Knight Rider. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think I think most people think kids are dumb. I think they they're six years old, they're five years old. They don't they don't know anything. Like, dude, they are sponges. They absorb all this stuff. And you know, they, people wonder why, like, you know, like things like, you know, uh, you know, all these bad habits. Like, why why are we perpetuating? Like, you know, dad's but dad goes to jail and the son goes to jail and all this. It's like because they, I learned it from you, dad. You know, they they see they look around and they say, well, the most successful person I see around me. Is this is is the drug dealer who has the most money, the most girls? He's the most successful person I I see in my neighborhood. Mm. So why why would anybody think logically that I'm going to go work at McDonald's for you know eight bucks an hour so, when I can go yeah I can go do this thing over here and make money and, and be and you know be the most successful person I see you know it's mm. it's you know, it's 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 in, indirect and direct teaching of kids, and the younger the better. Right, it's marketing, right? It's marketing. Right, it's marketing. I, I talked to a, yeah. a couple of my buddies from my neighborhood, and what we seem to all agree on is, no one's getting the full picture. They're getting these snapshots, right? Um. You know, we even talked about growing up how there were certain TV shows on where it was, you know, you had your family matters and, you know, just all, all kinds of like family oriented shows where people were working regular jobs, you know, firemen. Uh, I feel like The Rock was a fireman. Then you had Winslow, who was Officer Winslow. Um, all these blue collar jobs and kind of showcasing what it was to be, to have a father, you know, to be a good taxpaying citizen. And then there was a huge switch somewhere down the line to where it was, you know, the bling bling era, he called it, right? Um, it makes sense that that marketing, that message gets out, you know, it's Michael Jordan, Master P, or like you said, it's your local drug dealer, your local, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, I get scared sometimes when I see my kids exhibit my bad behavior. You know, I can have a temper. And, you know, it, it could be me just thinking I'm by myself and just like, oh, come on, man. You know, the old athlete thing, you know, muttering to myself and, you know, trying to psych myself up and all that sort of stuff. And then to see my four-year-old, you know, do it. Or my four-year-old son do it or my 15-year-old daughter just kind of like, it's like, how much of that is me, you know? And it, it really makes me want to just, I mean, I've started, like, meditating and everything, like, just trying to figure out how can I do this job of parent better? Because I see my my impact, you know, on the on my, on my on my family. Working in a job like you do, you know, you're in the military, you play football, you, you know, wrestle, all these different disciplines. Um, just like your current one, how do you gain, I guess, the trust in people who are coming in, you know, that next recruiter, 
recruiting class, I guess. How do you get them to trust that doing it the right way will yield the best results? It's tough. I mean, because it's all about incentives. You know, what, what, what are the incentives that they're putting in front of you? Because you can work, you know, like I always say, talk is cheap. You can say, you know, do the right thing. This is how it should be done. But if you make an incentive structure that makes um, that makes things more, you know, to, to make things better to cheat or to do things differently, you're human, right? Like you want to make you happy. I mean, I know uh, I've used this example uh, before about like the the whole situation at, at, at Wells Fargo with the you know the CEO making these were you know what they say like they had an eight. Um, eight accounts per, per person. Oh right. You know, oh, which was yeah, they, yeah, it was like you know something that nobody that nobody nobody realistically could do. Like who has eight accounts with one bank? Mm-hmm. You know, and but like anything else, that was the incentive. And so maybe one, maybe 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 one person with some ridiculous salesman could pull it off, maybe mm. legitimately. But majority of people, there's no way. Well, then they see Steve over here. He's getting all the praise, getting all the bonuses, getting all that for doing, you know, he's got eight cut. Well, they say, well, maybe I'll just, I'll, I'll make up this account. You know, you know, it's not a big deal. I'll just make an account. I'll make it look nice. Well, now that person, that person is getting praise. He's getting bonuses. He's getting promotions. You're doing it the right, and you're over here in your cubicle doing it the right way. You know that person's doing shady stuff, but, you know, but he's getting the promotions. He's getting the praise. He's going every year. He's getting the high fives. Like, look at, yeah. look at Steve. He's. Another, and that's how it builds. So then it's like, well, to succeed, they're saying do it. You know, you know, I'm sure that they, every every year it's like do the things the right way, serve the customer, do this. But on the side, their managers are like, look, if you wanna you wanna you know move up, you wanna get that raise, you gotta do what Steve over there's doing. Hmm. I don't know what Steve's doing, but he's doing eight. He's got you know averaging eight counts per customer, and so and everybody figures out how he's doing it, and then they start doing it, and that person starts doing it, and that person starts doing it, oh, and then you have what happened where it was like. You had a thousand people doing it, and they're all their you know what their excuse is is saying, look, that was what I was told to do. They didn't tell me explicitly go up and make up eight accounts, but by their actions, by praising the people that we that they knew and we all knew were doing shady stuff, that is that is implicitly saying to everybody else, either you do the shady stuff, don't tell me about it, you know, keep me keep me clean, but you need to do this, and. That happens, I mean, unfortunately, in policing, that happens in any job, you know, because mm-hmm. the managers want their bonuses, they want to look good, you know, so get us get us the numbers that we need, and some people do it the wrong way, and the only, I mean, again, it just, it, you have to have that, that deep moral code that says, look, even if I'm not going to get the promotion, even if I'm not going to look good, I still have to sleep at night. But that, Some people don't have that. But that has to be incentivized, right? Well, I mean, ideally, yes. That would, yeah. ideally... You would incentivize the good behavior. Mm-hmm. You would incentivize to say, "Look," but unfortunately, that, that a that takes leadership. That takes a leadership, and it takes someone really doing a deep dive and saying, "Okay, yes, you know, Jan doesn't have eight accounts in the Wells Fargo example, eight accounts per person, but we know that this person is doing the shady way. You know, yeah, this person made me. No, I'm the manager. This person made me look good, but mm. I know he's doing it shady, and I need to." nip that in the bud even though doing that is going to make me he's going to make my numbers lower 
I can't, you know, this has to be, this has to be done. And we have to praise the person. Like I know Jan's doing it the right way. Her, her, her customers are always happy. Mm-hmm. She's in here working, even though she's, you know, she's trying to get, you know, she's got two accounts per person. And this person's working and I'm going to promote that person. I'm going to bonus this person. But that's hard to do because you're not going to have the raw numbers to back it up. You're going to have to really do the work and justify that. And that's, that's, again, it takes leadership because it's easy to pull up numbers. You know, in a, in a police person, a police example, it's like arrests, right? If John has, you know, a thousand arrests, felony arrests, and I have a hundred, well, who's better? Well, from a pure numbers perspective, John's got a thousand, right? But if you if you actually looked into it and watched the dash cams, you're like, well, I mean, this he's calling this a felony. It's like, dude, this is misdemeanor at best. He's really stretching right. it, calling it a felony. Right. He's do and you know, I could tell you if I'm watching it, if you go in there and actually dig into it, I would say, ah, these, yeah, but these really are such these felonies are misdemeanors at best, but. If you're a manager and you're lazy, it's like thousand here. Mike's got a hundred. He's got a thousand. Mm. Thousand's better than a hundred. Done. Right. You know, is, it's it's way easier. So, you know, the the answer the answer to that is again good leadership, but it takes takes good incentives and it takes a culture and it takes and the the answer to that to to, to do that in the, at scale. Mm. You know that that's a difficult one. I don't know because you know we always look for the path of least resistance. We you know, we as humans, right? What's easier, right? You know, so you know it, it has to be a culture thing across the board, um, and then incentivize, and then again the 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 organization has to have just superior leadership. Um, uh, but I don't, honestly, I don't know at scale if it's. It's possible in general, just because of as people, we're you know we want the path least resistance to to get to what we want ultimately. Right, and a lot of people they look at situations is oftentimes the most extreme on either side, right? Uh, There's a lot of talk with this virus and the vaccinations, and um, it's really hard for people to see outside of their back their own backyard, right? You look at all of these different connectors that cause, uh, I guess, doubt, a lot of misinformation, and and just it it really breeds a lack of trust, you know? Uh, What you're talking about sounds for me comparable to uh, doping in athletics and sports, right? I am out here busting my behind, right? Doing everything I can, doing it the right way. I'm showing up early. I'm staying late. You know, I'm eating right. Everything. This guy's over here juicing, and he's getting all the praise, all the incentives. And I like how you put it. It's not, you know, with your uh, example of uh, uh, the banker or teller or something like that. It's not that person. It's quite possibly that system or that, you know, that the entire industry that puts pressure on people that could cause them to misbehave because that misbehavior is then rewarded. Um, yeah, that's tough, man. That's tough. But I think I think it's possible. Like I, I think it's possible. I think people keep looking at things like, you know, it's difficult. Like, well, yeah. 
Yeah. You know, especially yeah. us here in America, we're supposed to look at it and, okay, it's hard, fine, it's difficult, right? It may not happen for years to come, but we can we can accomplish a lot if we put our minds to it and our resources and if we communicate well and, like you said, we, we incentivize and reward those leaders and people who are doing it correctly. No, I mean, yeah, there, there, I mean, there's, there's organizations um, that that do the right way. I mean, I'm like, like top of my head, but I guarantee there's organizations that, that have that mindset that we're not going to do this. But mm -hmm. I think, again, it's that win at all cost perspective. It's just like, look, what's the numbers? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's a culture and it, it, it's, you know, and kind of that capitalist perspective of whoever has more money is more successful. You know, if you have a dollar, if you make a dollar more than me, you are a dollar better than me. Right. Yes. So in that yeah. kind of that kind of zero sum raw numbers game, you know, who cares how I got that dollar extra than you? Right. In the end of the day, like, yeah, you might judge me morally, but I still make that dollar more than you. So right. I win. You know, and that's a very, that's, that, yeah, that's a very American idea, too. When they talk about. Right. Um, and so it's. Yeah. You know, I went yeah. to Australia and they had this thing where. Um, <laughs> they were saying about Americans, you know, Americans live to work and Australians work to live. And if you look at all, how, as as a country, how Australia runs or, you know, a lot of European um, cities run, they, they do care. They try to make sure to get the optimal um, effect out of their employees. They need to be well paid, well compensated, well rested, and they need to have... It's a lot of training that goes in that. If you look at a, you know, where you work now as an officer, what's, I know I can't really simplify it as one thing, but what's one thing that you would love to see? Like, man, this will, you know what would be a really big help if we had X? What is that variable for you? Uh, well, like I say, a better work-life balance. Um, in my current organization, um, we have a lot of court time, especially working nights. Mm. Courts like tomorrow. Uh, no. Tomorrow after at court eleven o'clock in the after, in the morning. Well, my sleep time is generally from like six in the morning till like three in the afternoon. We usually when the kids were at school. So eleven a.m. is like you'd be like a normal person waking up at one in the morning to go to, you know to get dressed and go to work. Mm. So you know. We, they, you know, from, so individually from my organization to 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 work with the courts and be like, look, do you I mean in ninety five percent of the time they don't need me, they just they want me there so they can say, okay, well, we you want to go to court on this one, the officers here, blah blah. blah. It's like, dude, you know, you don't look if you need me. I I live fifteen minutes away. Hmm. I mean, call me if you want. If he wants to, you know, go put me on the stand, I'll be there. But don't, I don't need to be here three days a week. To sit here and then you tell me you don't need me. Sit here for two hours. Tell me you don't need me. Then I lose two hours of sleep. Uh, you know this. This is you know. So the work-life balance, like you were saying, um, it would be helpful. Um, again, I think a little bit. Uh, our again, our individually, our organization. But I think our organization in general, especially right now with policing. Um, again, we have a lot of leaders who um, just aren't. They're not leaders right now. They're scared. They don't, you know, they're, they're getting pressure from all sides. Mm -hmm. And it's not, not, I'm not saying it's easy. Like, if you put me in that position, you know, it, it'd be hard. You know, you're getting, you're getting it from all sides. You're getting it from, 
the people that you are in charge of, the police, you know, they're saying you need to back us up. Mm. And then you have organizations outside the police saying you need to come down with these police officers and, you know, fight the unions. And, you know, it's, it's, it's so you're getting it from all ends. You know, there's no, you know, to be a, a chief of police right now is not an enviable position. Right. Uh, I would not envy that to anybody. Um, so, but you kind of have to, I mean, again, as a leader, you have to hear, here's what I believe. Here's how this organization is going to be run, and I'll take the bullets. You know, if it's in the day I have to be fired because of what it is, then that's you know, here, here's what I am, and this is this is how I'm going to run it. And you know, if you don't think I'm the right person, then that's fine. You know, right. that again, that that takes a that takes a leadership that a lot of people is it, it it's it's hard to find. Um, so, uh, you know. You know, you get promoted a lot of times for getting along, for doing you know what everybody else tells you to do. Right. You don't get you don't gonna get promoted a lot in any position, any job by saying you know being a guy who's like always saying you're wrong, you're wrong, and you've got to change everything. Right. You know. Because right. right. that you know right. the person who's gonna promote you, you're like this person every time in the meetings telling me that I'm wrong. Why, why am I gonna promote this guy? Right. So by the time they get to the top spot, you know they've been successful going along. So why would they stop? Wow. So you know. Wow. It, it, it's yeah from a, from a from our individual organization um, again I think quality of life uh, I think they need to focus more they, be, uh, they would should focus more on the quality of life of the individual officers making making sure they're happy obviously the next get paid more but uh, you know that's not always getting their control right. uh, so I, I think for that but um, you know and just again having having strong leadership in any organization would be helpful. Dude, Super Troopers 2 got green lit because of uh, crowdsourcing, right? Uh, as far as I know. So they basically... I know it's, I'm sure it got started that way, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it basically, I think it came... It, I think it eventually came out as an independent. Maybe someone else signed on later on. But a lot of it was literally going to the people and raising money to make a fictional movie, <laughs> comedy about policing. Meanwhile, you know, uh, with all the money that flows in this country, this world, but this country specifically, it just doesn't seem like, it, it seems obvious to me, right? So many people have so much and we could snap our fingers and make some things right. But there's always going to exist people who are just looking to... Um, you know, elevate themselves, which is tragic. You know, for you all, like, you talked about quality of life. You not getting enough sleep could be deadly for you or someone else. You know, how is that not a priority? And I'm hoping, really, with all this pandemic stuff that it exposes a lot of that, because you guys could probably, from your cell phone, some secure channel, whatever. You know, I watch too many movies. I'm, I'm not sure how it would work, but you know, something where like, hey, you know, Officer Lee, he's saying that this happens, you know, can we swear you in and, and get you in front of a judge real quick? You know, I, I just can't shake the feeling that we're not putting our best foot forward as a country to say, let's look at the hard problems. Let's stare at it in the face and, and accept the challenge and say, we're going to take care of this. All, I mean, this deficit stuff and politics, everything, just, if we just buckle down and say all right you know let's all pitch all right. in the way we're supposed to and 
prioritize what needs to be prioritized. But then what's important to me may not be important to someone else. And I think that's, that's probably the biggest problem. But I'm sorry, what were you saying? Yeah, yeah I think... Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a value situ situation. We went to me and Crystal went to Ireland. You can see it, um, and it's it's you know you see it in, in the political debate now. You know, when we, people talk about capitalism versus socialism, like it's binary. Like you're either you're either for capitalism or you're for socialism. Like there's no, there's no there's nothing in between. And it's like, dude, it's a spectrum. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were a pure capitalist society, you wouldn't have public. You wouldn't have police. You had to pay. Your police fee for your private police organization and your fire department—that would be pure capitalism, you know. We don't have that, and nobody wants that. Even your your die-hard hedge fund guys don't necessarily want that, right. you know. So it's like you're you're not pure capitalist either, you know. You and most people like social security. Well, social security is, is socialism. Like it's in the name. It's you. If you're a if you're a millionaire, you pay into so, social security. You're not going to get out as much. As a person who makes fifty thousand puts in for it, you're going to get more. It's it's wealth it's wealth redistribution, which is again not a dirty word, um, but most people are, are pro pro social security. So when you again when you break it down, people really do like these socialist programs. And I say it's a spectrum. It's like look if it's, if pure socialism and pure capitalism are on either end, we're all just on a spectrum. You might be here and I might be here, but we're it, it, we're somewhere on a spectrum. Mm. You might think that you don't want, you know, universal health care. Okay, but well, you might think, well, we should, you know, everybody should get like a stipend, you know, a couple thousand dollars to help pay deductibles. Okay, well, that's that's a little bit of socialism. You're you're saying the government should pay a stipend. You, maybe you think it's little, you know, the the Canadian system versus the German system versus the, you know, English system is different. They're they're all different systems, um, but it's again, it's, it's a spectrum, you know. Mm. People want to say, "Well, if you're socialist, you want to be like Venezuela." Well, no, you might want to be like Norway. You know, <laughs> there there are two different. You know, you you might categorize them as socialists, but mm -hmm. first of all, they're they're different, and they they're they're different systems. And it, it's so it's really again about where you prioritize money and and how do you value money. And again, I think in this country, we have overemphasized the simplicity of again, if you have more money, you are smarter, you are better. By definition, like anything else doesn't matter, right. right? How you got that money, what you know, what you did to get it is irrelevant, right? You, you by definition, you're a millionaire. You are better. You are you are here. And everybody else that makes you know nine 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 thousand nine nine hundred whatever is going to be down here, right. um, you know. Until we break that spell of you know, winner take all, you know, ultimately law numbers, one person better than the other person, mm. you know, and, and, and looking deeper in that and say, look, people are people, people come from different backgrounds. If, if you were Steve Jobs and you were, and you put Steve Jobs over in Somalia, he would be, you know, the best, you know, Somali pirate maybe of, of all, but he's not, you know, he wouldn't be Steve Jobs. Right. Oh, you know, I love playing those so it's, games. you know, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, the story about Bill Gates. I mean, Bill Bill Gates, yeah. you know, they, they, he's a genius. But, you know, what people don't know about him is that he grew up in Seattle where they had a vibrant uh, computer program, which his parents got him into early, mm -hmm. where almost nowhere in the country did they have any computer programs at that time because I mean, computers were just starting out. He was able to get into it 
early on. If you grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, you you know Bill Gates wouldn't be Bill Gates. So yes, he would, would you know was he a smart person? Sure. Was he was he uh, driven? Yes, absolutely. But he luckily fell into a position where he was in the computers at the right time, the right place, where he was able to take you know what he had and, and grow into you know Microsoft. Now, would he be not successful if he grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, where he didn't have computers? I don't know, maybe. Right. Um, but would he be Bill Gates? Probably not. He probably he'd be might he might be the most successful insurance salesman in Nebraska. <laughs> you know. And that might be fine. But, you know, this idea that, well, Bill Gates would always be Bill Gates, you know, because he would just he would have figured it out no matter where he was. It's just it's it's ridiculous. And that's I think people, you know, people don't realize that people come from bad backgrounds, like, well, this person's just he was always gonna be a you know, a, a drug dealer or a drug trafficker. It's like, dude, I trust me as a police officer. I have met some people who are like, dude, this dude, I mean, he he fooled me. Like, dude, this guy <laughs> put drugs in a you know, crazy place. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's got a system down. It's like, dude, this dude. He thought it through. Given a different he put real effort in it. This tastes disloyal, you know? Yeah, I mean, the, the amount of work he puts in into this, this organization that he has is incredible. Yeah. I mean, he's fooled investigators and everything. You're like, dude, had he just had a different opportunity, a different place, had he been Bill Gates in the 80s, put into computers, he'd be Bill Gates instead of, you know, doing 20 years for drug trafficking. Right. And I, I think that's, we, what may, I mean, I'm sure all over, all over the world, but I think in, in, in general, in this country, we, 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 we zero summit, we, we don't have, the empathy isn't there, it's not there as it needs to be, uh, you know, just because you you fallen is is a lack of character. Your soul is is wrong, right. and you were always going to be that way. If you're successful, you always, no matter what happened, you would have been that way. It's like no, it now your effort is important, yeah. but it's all so it's right place, right time. Yeah, well, the you nature know, versus nurture yeah. argument, right? I know what. Right. Um, I was a, a corrections officer for a hot split second, right? And one of the things that really uh, resonated with me was them telling us that with our keys, make sure we kept our keys tucked inside of our pockets. You know, they were on a secure you know, key ring, and they were, had to remain inside the pocket at all times. And I asked why, and they said that there are some people who can look at a key memorize the configuration, sculpt it, and now they have keys. They've actually had that situation in prison before to where this had to be put in policy that you tuck your keys. And it just blows my mind what that mind could do if they were put in you know a different environment. Like you said, Bill Gates, Seattle, in that booming computer uh, uh, just hub. Right? What would that look like? And I think if more people thought like that, I think, you know, we can get to a better place as far as, uh, I mean, like with you with policing, with me and my parenting and just us as a, a country and, and as, a, as a world is really trying to get some of that empathy and understand, like, people can be redeemable. Yeah, I mean it's, I, I, 
you have to look past again it takes more work it just takes looking past the raw numbers mm-hmm. and looking past the criminal record and like you know i mean I, unfortunately i see it in policing all the time and it, it makes me sad it's like oh this person's uh you know part of my friends an s bag i don't know if i'm what i'm allowed to say on this but um <laughs> and i'm like how do you know this like what are you basing this on right. it's like it, listen to this dude's life story listen to what he's gone through you know he's you know he watched his brother get shot you know in the street his parents were never there. He basically raised himself. Like, what do you expect? What, 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 what would you think is going to happen to this guy? You know, I, I tell a story. And it, it's, it's probably in tears a couple of times where I, I pulled over somebody, and these two these two people who are obviously heroin addicts, the, I don't know the husband and wife or boyfriend girlfriend or whatever. And I mean, I had to search their car because it was just it was, you know, it was just drug paraphernalia all over the place, like needles and everything else. Mm. And they had a little girl, maybe four years old, five years old, oh. reminded me so much of Anna. She was like so bubbly and happy. Mm. You know, you know, she's like, you know, I'm having my flashlight. She's like, can I help look? You know, she doesn't know what I'm looking for. But she's like, she's just happy to be around. And, you know, I had, after I got done, uh, you know, I had to take a second to think of myself. Because like, I was like, dude, what? I know this girl is going to, I mean, the chances are, this little girl who is reminding me exactly like my little girl, who given the right environment, I mean, she's happy now. She's happy with two heroin addicted parents. And God knows what she's seen already. Right? Right. And so she still has this happy-go-lucky attitude that, you know, just couldn't be happier to be alive. But I know that statistically, she's going to be probably, if lucky, you know, maybe get through high school pregnant you know, probably hooked on drugs, you know, that's just statistically what's going to happen to her, you know, and it just, it made me sad thinking, you know, this, this girl, you know, given the right environment could be hugely successful in life, but there's nothing I can do. I had to let her, her drug addicted parents drive away and find anything. And I was like, you know, it's, it's sad. And again, she'll be written off. You know, she'll be written off one day. Well, someone will arrest her. Like, oh, just another, you know, prostitute or something like that. Just or drag on society. It's like, you know, everybody, everybody you arrest, you think this person is just a, an ass bag. It's like, you know, they were that three-year-old girl that I saw, that four-year-old girl I saw once. who was just a perfectly fine girl. Real terrible. And you, know, you think they're dirtbags, but it's like, well, what do you think you would have done in that situation? How would you, how would you have fared? And people just assume, like, well, again, they think that internally their their soul is better, that, that 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 you could have put them in the worst environment and they would have grown up exactly the way they were and they would have done right from wrong and followed the law and, and gone to college. And I'm like, yeah. dude, maybe, but statistically, no. Statistically, you'd be, you know, stealing cars, selling drugs, just like everybody else is, you know. And, you know, if you if you think of it from that perspective... We gotta do our job, you know. I can't, you know, if you're stealing a car, I can't just be like, "Well, he's had a hard life, so, you know, good luck to you, right. have fun, bye." Right. I still got arrested. Still have a job to do. But you know. yeah, but the difference is, is that I don't have to treat you like garbage. As long as, as long as you're not biting me or kicking me, and then you give up and you say, "Hey, man, I'm all done." Like, all right, dude. You know, I can I put you in handcuffs. I can treat you. I can treat you right because I know it's like, dude, I, I can't imagine. What's brought you to this state? 
and it's sad. Mm. It makes me sad that you think that this is this is the right way to be, and this is this is what um, what you should be doing. And uh, I think that that is something that in policing, if we that it needs that we need more of is just it's just the empathy that to know that because someone's doing something wrong, and even if they even if they're treating you like crap or calling you a pig or whatever, it's like if you really sat and talked to this dude about what been through in his life, like I would imagine you'd think differently. Mm. Well, that is it. See, we, we gotta pay, we gotta pay more, uh, people like you. That's what it comes down to, man. Uh, but before I let you go, give me a positive experience you had being an officer that makes you, helps to, I guess, reminds you that like, okay, this is, somehow working there's a lot of flaws there's a lot of improvement to be made no matter you know who you are but give me a situation where you looked at it and it was just like okay yeah I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do um, so we can kind of end on the positive note here <laughs> well I mean again in general um, in my policing we're a little more, more proactive again I, I we, uh, my group we focus a lot on drunk driving um, so, um, in that perspective, because it's proactive, um, I know that I'm preventing, you know, there's just a sheer number of people that I've stopped and gotten off the streets when they've been the most impaired. I mean, I, I again, it, very few jobs you can say to somebody it's like, yeah, they don't, the person, the, a person doesn't know it, but they, again, I say there's a person out there who is alive or is unhurt. You know I mean? I, I, I've stopped people who I'm, I literally had I not stopped. I mean, they were rolling off the road, hitting things like there's, there's no humanly possible. This person would have made it without hitting someone, killing themselves or killing somebody else or hurting them at least. And you stop them. And again, that, that, that person doesn't know it, but that person that's a, that was a half a mile down the road, that inter- crossing that intersection, you know, had I not been there, had stopped that guy, would have T-boned you, and you know, you were burned up or you know got seriously hurt, and you know that that is something for me. Uh, just it, it to know to 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 know that is it, it, it brings it brings you know kind of gives you something like I, I I'm doing something right you now I'm, I'm hopefully you know, doing something right. And, and the way I treat people in general, like I said, I, I've had people if I arrested and, you know, they have long records of, you can see when they've had resistance with police officers and when I can arrest them and they're like, dude, I mean, you know, you didn't fight me or anything. It's like, again, if you just show people respect, even if they don't deserve it in general, you just keep showing them respect, you know, and not everybody, but uh, most people, if you show respect, a lot of times it's the first time they've ever been shown respect, you know, most people treat them like garbage because they treat people like garbage. So when you show them respect, they don't they don't know what to do. They're so used to people come back at them with disrespect. That's what they're looking for. And when you go back, say, "Hey, man, look, dude, I don't care what you did. Just you know, I gotta do my thing. I gotta put you in handcuffs and sit back in the car, do the paperwork. Just be fine, man. Well, can I? Are those cuffs too tight? You know, do you, I mean, I'm loosening up for you." You know, we turn the heat up, you know, I know it's cold out here. Can we turn the heat up a little bit for you? You, you know, I know you're not comfortable back in my car, but I mean, 
what can whatever little thing can I do for you? Too hot, you're too cold, and just those little things. A lot of times, it, it calms people down. It's like, wow, he cares that I'm too hot or too cold. He cares that my handcuffs are too tight. You know, most people are like, good. I hope the handcuffs are tight. You know, I hope you're, I hope you're freezing back there. Yeah. Why? You know, as long as that person is, uh, you know, as long as that person does, does what I ask them to do. Um, you know, so that that gives me that 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 gives me joy in my job. You know, when I when I can say this person looks like he pretty much fought every copies he dealt with, and you know, dude just gave him a little respect, and he's like, dude, do whatever I asked him to do, and you know, knowing that you know someone someone's out there having a good life and wouldn't have well if I wasn't out there. So, just, On a positive note. On a positive note. Well, there you have it, man. I appreciate you doing yeah. this. Appreciate your time. I appreciate your service. Um, there you go, Officer Michael Lee. Thanks for stopping by. Bye. Hear me.